I'm now joined by Tom Hancock, head of focused equity at GMO, who last November launched their first ETF. It's the GMO U.S. Quality ETF, ticker symbol QLTY. Tom is the portfolio manager on that ETF. He's actually been running their flagship quality mutual fund strategies for years now. And as I noted at the top, GMO is a $60 billion asset manager who has now entered the ETF space. And uh, Tom is on the line with me from Boston. Tom, welcome to the podcast. I'm Ray. It's great to be here. All right, so anytime I see a prominent asset manager enter the ETF space, I'm always very curious about the uh, decision-making process uh, around this. So what did that look like for GMO? Why get involved with ETFs now? Yeah, um, it's something we've been thinking about for a while, and this felt like the right time to us. So GMO, as you know, we're $60 billion asset manager, but the large bulk of our clients are institutional, so large pension funds, endowments, and such. Uh, we haven't really had that much until more recently investment from investment advisors, high net worth, tax-sensitive investors, basically. That's, but that has been a very growing part of our market. It's an area where we and Jeremy Grantham are known. And for that market segment, the tax advantages of ETFs became really important. And then the other thing that we observed going on is that in the early days of the ETF market, ETFs were just not by necessity, but just branding, I guess, associated much more with passive or purely quantitative strategies. But in recent years, active fundamental strategies are starting to gain some traction in the ETF market. So both to suit our clients better because we felt our st- the time was right for our kind of strategy last year was the year we chose to launch. All right. So let's talk about the ETF itself, the uh, GMO U.S. Quality ETF. Again, this is actively managed by you. Obviously, this seeks to invest in high-quality stocks. Uh, take us through your process here. How, how are you screening for quality? Yeah. Um, and first, quality is about companies that can deliver a high return on investment going forward. They have growth opportunities that the average company does. They have moats to keep other comp- companies from getting in. Um, that's kind of qualitatively what we're looking for. But uh, quantitatively, we do start our process with screening. We're looking for companies that have a history of high profitability, stable profitability, strong balance sheets. We believe those kind of companies, um, for the most part, can keep those characteristics going forward and deserve a premium. Uh, So we start with the screening. The next steps of our process are the fundamental part. So one is, okay, this looks like a good candidate company. Why has it had this profitability? Do we think it will continue to do so in the future? What's the business model? Do we trust management, et cetera? And then secondly, but also very importantly, is valuation. It's just not just a great business, but just to say a great stock, you know, a great business at a reasonable price. I pulled up your um, top holdings th- this morning. If you don't mind, let me go through these briefly. So I see Microsoft, which as an aside, of course, that company hit $3 trillion in market cap last week. Pretty remarkable. Uh, there's also United Health Group, Alphabet, Johnson & Johnson, uh, and Oracle. And then rounding out the top 10 are Accenture, Meta, Amazon, Apple, and Abbott Laboratories. I'd love to have you maybe just pick one of those, Tom, and explain your rationale for owning it using the uh, the, the quality lens. Yeah. Um, and I think most of those companies are somewhat household names, and you'd see there's a mix, as, um, as, as we like to invest, a mix between sort of more tech growth-oriented companies and more sort of classic defensive-type names, all of which we think are, are quality. To pick one, you know, Accenture, that's sort of the big IT 
consulting company. I think that's kind of interesting because it gives you a way to play the artificial intelligence theme without having to pick winners, if you will. Um, so Accenture, we like it and held it for years. It's an asset-like business that basically benefits from the migration of new technology innovation out of companies like Microsoft and Alphabet into the broader economy. If you're a energy company, a big financial company, you want to um, use an Oracle database, you want to get cloud computing, or now you want to use artificial intelligence, Accenture is the company you go to to do it for you. And, of course, it's a little bit out of the limelight there, so it's not as hyped up as some of the other companies. But because of their brand and intellectual capacity, uh, capabilities and scale, it's really hard for a smaller entrance to compete with them. You mentioned some of the uh, hype around some of the other uh, companies, and I think there are some investors who might have a concern around the valuations of those companies, if you look at the Magnificent Seven and, and, and similar types of companies, how does valuation specifically fit into your investment process? Like, let's say you have a company that is at the very top of the list from a, a quality standpoint, when you look at you know both a, a quantitative and, and, and fundamental assessment, um, but perhaps the valuation overall is out of whack. What, what's your framework around that? Yeah, so our framework is that for any company we're holding or considering holding, we're going to come up with a model of how, what that company can grow at, share cash, double return to shareholders, and exit multiple years down the road. And we'll come up with a price target. And um, you know, great companies don't come at huge discounts, right? But you don't want to pay huge premiums for them because then even if they deliver great growth, likely the multiple will compress over time and you won't get a great return. So there are certainly companies that are near the top of the quality list that we don't hold purely on valuation. NVIDIA would be the most obvious company out there in the news today. Or if you think of like a, a Costco would be another one where we don't really see how they can grow into their multiple. Um, that is a differentiator between us and some quality approaches that are just about the quality of the business and don't pay it all, any attention at all to the stock price. Regarding the active management here, you know, you noted earlier that historically, I think ETFs have been associated with uh, with passive, but that's changing. I think active ETFs are obviously a huge growth area within the industry right now. I, I think that's going to continue to be the case. But I, I want to ask you sort of the uh, cliche question around active, which is that. Look, Tom, everyone has seen the data on the challenges active managers face in outperforming their benchmarks, right? It's extremely difficult to consistently outperform. So how do you view your ability to add value here? And perhaps you can uh, just make the case for active overall, because as you're well aware, there are plenty of index-based quality ETFs on the market. So as an investor, why go active? Well, of course, there's the mathematical truth that in aggregate the market is active investors so in aggregate the market return is the market return so it's kind of an average everyone's average and then uh their fees underneath so there's a certain truth you can't avoid there i think where active management can add value is keeping you out of trouble i think it's been tough for the last few years because the market's been so concentrated in a few names Uh, But passive, just by following market cap rating, I think does put you at a little bit more risk when things turn sour. And I think active management generally has done a little bit better in the downturn. I think that's particularly true of our style of active management with a focus on quality and valuation. If you think about passive as not just 
the S&P 500, but if you also think about, in our neighborhood, I guess, quality-type factor um, approaches, I think the things we would bring on top of that are, one, the forward-looking approach, so trying to avoid those quality traps, if you will, companies that have had a great history, but the world's changing and their future won't be as bright going forward. That's one. And the other advantage would be that valuation. A lot of the sort of naive quality implementations, because they don't care about valuation, I don't think you lose good returns, certainly aren't as defensive. You saw that in the down market in 2022 when not all kind of quality strategies were as defensive as I think their investors hoped they would be. By the way, earlier I mentioned the quality mutual fund you, you run. How similar is that to the ETF strategy? Yeah, the mutual fund, GQETX, GM Equality Fund, um, it's quite similar, same team, same philosophy and process. The only difference is that does have global exposure, so it's had up to 20% of its weight in non-U.S. domiciles and multinationals. So the, uh, the ETF we've started is purely a U.S. quality, so it holds all the U.S. stocks in the in the mutual fund and then holds a handful of other names, and the weights are a little bit different, but very similar. All right, just a, uh, a few minutes left here. With our remaining time, Tom, I would love to hear your thoughts around the current market environment right now, where we have... The S&P 500 at record highs. We have short-term treasury rates still around, what, 5.5%. I would say the economy looks pretty good overall. So how are you thinking bigger picture, and, and, and where does quality fit into that right now? Yeah. Yeah, well, like, um, I think it's big picture. We think about quality investing is a good way to invest for people who aren't trying to forecast the economy and not a portfolio that's kind of robust whatever happens. If one thing, specific thing happens, your know, quality will be okay, but uh, there may be something else, else better to invest. But in terms of diversifying yourself and being well protected against the unexpected, I think that's where quality comes into play. Um, interest rates, I think, a lot depends on what happens with inflation in the economy. If it's a recessionary, bad economy, drives interest rates lower. Uh, that's relatively speaking good for quality. If it's a boom up in cyclicals, and we're not really forecasting, but that would be the kind of period where a quality strategy can hopefully keep up but lag a little bit. Um, to the extent that interest rates are just reflecting inflation, your quality companies have strong pricing power. We're not that worried about an inflationary environment. Uh, companies tend to benefit from that actually over time, if anything. So um, we're, we're not too worried about the macro, but we also don't really take macro that much into account in our investing process. So on the valuation point, I think the market has – the S&P 500 has great companies in it with better growth prospects than average. Innovation has never been higher. I think in aggregate, the market just deserves a higher multiple than straight out historically. If I were to summarize that uh- – you know, look, if an investor is considering the quality factor, assuming there's a good framework here, as you've discussed around valuations, is it fair to say that quality will keep up well enough in up markets, but then more than compensate when markets hit the downside? Is that fair just at a high level if yeah. there's a good quality Yeah, that's, that's, that would be our belief, certainly. It's kind of you win in quality by never falling too far behind and then really burning your salt when, uh, when things turn south. Well, Tom, we're going to have to leave it there. A, uh, a pleasure to connect this week. I certainly wish you continued success on the quality strategies and uh, th- this new ETF. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Nate. It's been great to talk. 
That was Tom Hancock, head of Focused Equity at GMO.